talk about church life, I do want to tell you a, a little progress. It's kind of cool. We've made, we've got some ways to go, but here's some places. Let me show you a graphic with our kids' ministry. Um, we've been asking you for, for weeks now to, to step up and help us with our kids' ministry because it's about investing in the future. Like you just saw just a minute ago, it's about investments in, in who we are and where we're going. By August 7, we've got to have uh, 50 new investors. And, and some of you are probably going, wow, but I don't, I'm not there to teach kids. I, I'm not good at that. Well, join the club. I, I'm not either. You know, listen, man, it's, that's hard work, right? Every time I speak to the next generation, especially students, like I, I'm terrified. I, you know, I, I've gone in front of students sometimes in high schools. I, I hate it because, you know, you can't, you can't fool them. Like no matter, you, you can try to be cool and they, you're not, and they know it, right? So it's difficult sometimes that that next generation is hard. So if you're not a teacher, don't, don't lock into your brain that they're wanting 50 teachers. No, they need 50 investors, we need people who are looking at how can, how can you help, and that's a, a, it sends a massive signal to our, our people that go here about what we actually believe and who we are. i got to readjust this mic for a minute. Cool Mark Rampula, has, I can tell he has messed with me uh, yet again on, on this because in the first service I had to stop. My mic kept falling down. Hey, I want to say something about Mark, by the way. Uh, he, he had a lot of neat things he did to say, to compliment you. Um, I don't know. Now, Mark didn't say this to me, uh, but I'm not 100% sure that Mark knew. He's like, how are they going to receive me here? You know, he's from Jersey, right? I said, Mark, you be all of Jersey Mark Rampula and, and be exactly that guy. And he was. And he had so many specific comments to say to you about who you are and what he thinks God is doing here. So I want to say thank you for receiving my, my brother in that August 7, I want to give you another thing about our church life, and that is uh, in, in our church life, uh, we're going we're gonna to do something kind of unique. Uh, in August the 7th, we're moving this crowd to the chapel. And you think, well, why are you doing that? Well, there's a lot of reasons, but honestly, it's, it's a spiritual reason. There, that, that's our chief motive. We believe that, that, that there, it, is, it is time for us to change that in, in, in a couple of ways. And so if you want to come and sit in this room August 7, you can. It's going to be you and the Holy Spirit, which that's, that's a good crowd, all right? That's a good crowd. Just know that you, it, it'll be a little different in here. But August the 7th, we're going we're to move. Now you think, about well, how's it going to sound? Just like it did? Just like it did there. It's going to sound just like it did. You're not going to see that. That's not, that's not a sound change. There are some spiritual reasons that we believe it is time for us to do that. And so um, I hope you're excited about that because I, I personally am. Today we're going to go and keep going in our church series. And, and this is a little bit, a little bit self-conscious for me to, to talk about because uh, it's, as, as the more I pondered it and the more I looked at, at our church series, I thought, you know, we, you can't do, you cannot do a series on church and skip over this idea of those that lead it. W what is the role of the leaders? And I don't mean just Jason as the lead pastor. I'm talking about Shane, Alexis, John, and John, and, and Graham, and Kim Margrave, and, and others that keep going. What is the role of those that God has set apart, that, that you have ordained in life to help us with that? What, what, what is that role? Because, I mean, let's face it. If you're going to be going, don't you think it's going to be important that if you're going to be going to church for a while, it's probably going to be good for you to know what a leader does, right? What do we actually do, all right? I think it's important for you to know 
what we're called to do and what we're not. In the next two weeks, we're kind of making a move from the one another statements. We talked about forgiving one another and loving one another and how we speak about one another. We spent a lot of time the first several weeks dealing with like, uh, the relationship this way. In the next few weeks, we're going to move to this idea of what it means to be universally accountable to a church. And in the meantime, the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk specifically about, as we move toward what does a, what does a church do, what does its leaders do. So turn, if you've got a Bible, turn to 1 Peter. you got a Bible? Hope you do. Turn to 1 Peter, okay? 1 Peter chapter 5. It's, in the, it's toward the end of the, the New Testament. And... We're going to talk about ministering and especially those that lead ministries. And this week, man, I have spent a lot of time going through First and Second Timothy, First Peter, Titus, some other places, and man, it has really, really helped me. It's been actually life-giving to look at the standards and some of the things that sometimes I think are standards that aren't. So here's what Peter has to say, and I put some of it on the ver- up there for you. I-, I couldn't put the whole verse up there, but it is it, it is up there. Here, here we go, 1 Peter 5, verse 1. Peter says, therefore, I exhort. That just means uh, I encourage. The elders among you. You're going to notice the word elders and bishops and shepherds is kind of used interchangeably. We're going to, we're going to break that down in a minute. I, I, I encourage the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you exercising oversight, not under compulsion, that is, not because you have to, but voluntarily according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, that is, to build a brand, but with eagerness. Nor yet as lording it over the people, meaning like be a tyrant, nor, nor yet as lording it over the people, those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, I'm talking about Jesus, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So today we're going to talk about the biblical definition of what it means to have people like me and Shane and Graham and Alexis and others standing up here and being a part of the body because that directly affects you. In fact, I want to say to you, this isn't going to be one of those days where I just give you a bunch of biblical uh, information. What I want to say to you is that if you'll stay with me to the end, There's actually a direct benefit in this for you. There's an actual benefit in this for you, and and I think you're going to see why in in just a minute. So let's look at what the Bible says, not what congregations say, not what job descriptions say, not what employee handbooks say. All those are fine. Let's look at what the Word of God says about those of us called to lead the congregation. And the first key truth that I would share with you is this, all right, is that God, God expects us to be active, not passive, okay? God calls pastors to be active, not passive. Let me tell you why I start out by that. If you look at those phrases that I just gave you, in fact, let's go backward one. Go backward to that verse that I just showed you in in 1 Peter. Yeah, so I kind of made that in green for you. Elders, shepherds, and exercising oversight. One of the things that I have learned about that is that, that, is, is that we, those are descriptions that the Bible gives of, of who we're called to be. And those three words are really mission critical because you hear them used in church all the time. Now, I kind of broke those down in bigger font for you. Let's look at those three words, episkopos, presbyteros, and poimen. I think, yeah, there we go. So those are the three main. Now, I don't normally get into a Greek 
idea with you. And let me tell you why. A, I really think sometimes a lot of pastors use the Greek language as their brag badge. Look, man, we only took like two years of Greek in seminary, okay? It, it, I asked my, I asked my um, Greek professor one time who was fluent in 11 languages. Fluent in 11 languages. I asked him, I said, how good is your Greek? He said, I probably am about a kindergartner. So I think as a pastor, it's, it's for us to stand up here and, well, the Greek actually says, I think it weakens your confidence in the English translation, and I don't want to do that. You have a very good English translation of the Bible. But today, I do think it's important that we look at some of these ideas of what does the Word of God say our role is? So he gives some adjectives. The first one, episkopos, that sounds, you heard episcopal? That's where they get that word, right? It means a superintendent. You know what that is, superintendent of schools. Presbyteros, Presbyterian, Presbytery. We are overseers with authority. Poimain is the word from which we get shepherd to guard, to guide, or to feed. Now, let me tell you why that matters, okay? Two of those words are verbs. Episcopos means that we are overseer. It's more of an adjective. It's a descriptor. But presbyteros and poimain are actual, are actual verbs. And so I start out by saying God calls pastors to be active, not passive. We are not called to just manage by default. We are called to actually lead something. We are actually called to, to lead, to be active leaders. I remember five years ago, when the search team was talking to me about coming here, Cleve Watley uh, asked me, he, he and I were talking about the structure of our church. And, and I remember telling, Cleve's one of my heroes, man, I, I love that man for a host of reasons. And, and some of you young men would do well to get to know Cleve Watley. He's a man of deep wisdom, and, and especially in the, the world of leadership and, and, and business. And uh, just had, had a great career with AT&T and a uh, very, very smart man. And, and, and Cleve, I said, Cleve, let me ask you something, though. If our church is in the need that you say it's in the need, and if there's, the, if there's all the challenges that we we say that you guys say we're going to have, I need to know something. I need to know, are you guys wanting someone to manage or someone to lead it? Because you got to ask those kind of questions because it's not that one is better than the other. Don't hear me say that. You may have the title manager by your name. That's wonderful. It's not one is better than the other, but there are certain times and certain seasons that certain roles are called for. And, and, if, and if we're going to see our church move forward from based on what I'm hearing from you, we're going to have to have, I cannot lead from the side. If something is stuck, you have to pull it out of a ditch. You can't push it out. So what does that look like? We, and that blessed me looking at presbyteros and episcopos and poimain because it's one of those things that we understand that God actually does call us to be active leaders. That's a biblical standard. Here's another one I would say that I learned as I looked at this idea coming out of 1 and 2 Timothy. God wants me to pursue personal purity. All right? God calls pastors to be disciplined in pursuing personal purity. That's a lot of P's right there. It's hard to get out of the mouth. But God, God calls pastors to be disciplined in pursuing personal purity. You see, that matters to God. It matters to God that holiness matters to me. It matters to God that holiness matters to Shane. It matters to me that holiness matters to Alexis. It matters to all of us. And it should matter to you too. Look at what, look on the screen there at 2 Timothy. Look at what Paul told Timothy. Look at this verse. He told Timothy, told Timothy to flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. 
He's asking those of us that lead to lead out of a pure heart. We're called to pursue the righteous intent of God. He says it again, I think, in Titus. Look, this is even a more description, a bigger description there. It says, for the overseer, and I know I put all this on one screen. It might be a little small for those of you in the back, so I'm going to read it. But I wanted you to see it all together. For the overseer must be beyond reproach. That is, must have a high standard. That is, a personal high standard as God's steward. Not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not overindulging in wine, not a bully, not greedy for money, but hospitable, loving what is good, self-controlled, righteous, holy, Discipline that is disciplined in those pursuits, holding firmly to the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able both to encourage, your Bible might say exhort, both to encourage in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict it. Right? We are, we are called to pursue personal holiness. And let me tell you why that matters. It matters because favor matters. If you want to lead God's people, let me tell you, there is no human being qualified to stand up here. There's no human being qualified to be your student pastor. There's no human qualified to lead missions. There's no human being qualified to do any of this. But if, we, if God has called us to do it, it matters to us that we stay in line with the heart of God. Now, pure, purity isn't perfection, and you need to hear that. That's what, even on, in your own life. God wants you to pursue purity. Purity is not perfection. Purity is the pursuit of the holy. We are to have holy standards in our lives. We are to self-govern that, all of us, including those who lead, because God puts favor on leaders in the fastest way. You know why this matters to you as a congregation? It matters to you because the fastest way for our church to be affected is for our leaders to have tainted hearts, to pursue the unrighteous. It affects the whole people. So it matters to us that we have purity. God expects me to police that in my own life. Now, I want to go with you into a third area. We're going to camp out on this one for just a minute, okay? God calls pastors to be overseers of kingdom standards. Now, that's important for you to know. If we're going to, for, those, for those of us that lead and those of us that lead you, God calls us to be the overseer of kingdom standards. And it's really important that you understand the, this idea of what it means to be shepherds, to be overseers. And I want to say to you, friend, this is, this is in all the ways that you read Scripture. When you take your Bible, let me tell you the hardest thing you're going to find. And I, I battle it. I battle it every day. I battle it subconsciously. I do it unconsciously. But I have to work to be aware of it. You've heard me mention this before. When you read the Scriptures, it's very dangerous for you to take your American eyes and look at a biblical situation. Don't do that. Don't define success in the spiritual life by American definitions. Let's put Bible definitions on Bible definitions. And so in order for us to, if we're going to look at what it is a shepherd does, that's different than an American idea. Because I want to tell you, right? I want to tell you what happens in the American world. When it comes to how we look at shepherds, so often we apply an American definition to that. So let me, let me illustrate it to you. This is so much of what Americans think. I'm going to pick on Alexis for a minute. Oh, yeah. He's right here, right? Alexis. So, you know, we just think that shepherds just pet sheep. It's like sandpaper, kind of, a little bit. 
This is driving you crazy, I know. For a guy that doesn't have hair, he doesn't want anybody touching his head. Isn't that weird? Right? Oh, just tell him he's great. Alexis, you're so good. And he is. He's so good. Vicky's doing a good job. Oh, honey, you're just so good. She pets him, pats on him, you know, mainly because he's had heart surgery. and She's just trying to get him to boost up, right? We get it. But see, uh, uh, so many Americans think that our idea is just constantly just to, just to pet the sheep, tell them they're all. And that is part of that. You just saw it in a verse to encourage. But I've actually read books on shepherding, actual shepherds. Let me tell you, shepherds do encourage the sheep. They do try to keep the sheep calm. But watch what happens when a shepherd sees a wolf. You know what they do? They get a gun. They get a gun. Shepherds hate wolves. Because they know what wolves do to their sheep. They will tear them apart. They will absolutely, so when you, you see, they will absolutely tear them apart. And so what you see sometimes in the body is that our job sometimes is to keep you from killing each other. Paul even said, watch out, there will be savage wolves among you. Not just from the outside. Sometimes the wolves come from the inside. I've actually read books and stories on shepherding, and it's fascinating. Paul dealt with this at the church at Galatia. I mean, man, if you want a New Testament church, it's the closest thing you've ever seen to, like, I don't know, desperate housewives of Franklin or something. I mean, just crazy. You know, some of you, you know, I don't know, whatever show. I picked that one out of the air. If, that's, if you love that show, you know, uh, forgive me later. But, I mean, you want, you want to talk about just chaos, Look at the church at Galatia. I mean, it was chaos. And so right out of the gate, Paul says this in Galatians chapter 1. He said, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or, or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. You know what he's saying, don't you? He's saying that our job is to hold a kingdom standard. And not to just go for the will of the people. Listen to me, friends. You will never... Listen to me. This is important. If you find it, tell me, because I've never seen it. I've never seen it one time. I've never seen a single place in Scripture where the body of Christ is to be led by consensus. Sometimes the majority can be wrong. We are not called to be led by consensus. I love what Margaret Thatcher said about consensus. Margaret Thatcher said this. She said, consensus is the absence of leadership. I mean, look at that woman. I think she would eat me alive in a meeting. <laughs> I, I mean, she's the kind of woman, like, when you walk into the room, you just straighten up. I mean, she just held that country together, man. Has so much admiration for what she did. Consensus is the absence of leadership. And by the way, I think Clearview, on a side note, I think we do a really good job of this. I do. I think we do a good job. We can always do better, but I think we do a good job of this. Because there's no place in Scripture where their people are called, like this whole this idea that you hear some churches say, that you know, committees lead the church, that is not biblical, ever. You will not find that in the New Testament. God has given the, the leadership, the elders, the episcopos, the poimain, those that we are, we are called to be the drivers, but that is unhealthy if, if that's all we do. We have to have oversight. We have to, and I think we do a great job of this. We, we have finance committees uh, right now led by Steve. Steve's sitting here. Sorry, I just saw you sitting there. He, fantastic. I mean, I, we, I love his counsel. He gives such 
good counsel. He, you have, brother, you have been a treasure to us this year. You really have. Thank you. You've been a treasure to us. I just, I, you know, he's, he's like, he's, and, he, and he didn't even email me when I made the accountant jokes either, and I, and I thought that was going to happen. But, it, you know, he's just done a great job. We have Rod Harry sitting there. Rod's right now leading our personnel team. Rod, you have, you have done fantastic. I'm not just saying that because your wife's sitting beside you. I'm telling you, like, really, you actually have done a really good job. And I knew you would. These are men of God, and if they, and they, we listen to them. We, you know, Will has, uh, Will has been leading our, our um, missions team. He's done a fantastic job of that. See, we, we, we listen to those people because, because they have such giftedness. Man, I learned a long time ago I'm gifted in some things, but I'm not gifted in, in all things. And the older I get, the more I, I crave people telling us and helping us see. See, the job of our committees, if you don't know, the job of our committees is to keep us from stepping in a hole and breaking our leg as a staff. The job of our committees is to make sure we're asking the tough questions, to make sure that we're not overlooking something that's important. And we have to have that, man. We have to have it. I, I, love, I love the way we do this. And I think we, we've, we've done a, a great, great job of that. But you won't find it through consensus. You show me a church. Listen to me, church family. You show me a church that is led by committees, and I'll show you an unhealthy church. Show me a church that's all led by the, just, just those at the top, and I will show you a recipe for pending disaster. I mean it. We need each other. One is not better. You have to have both. You have to have both. I want to show you a picture of a shepherd. Since we're talking about shepherds, we are called to keep up the biblical standard. And I'll, I'll say this to you. It's interesting. This week as I read through 1 Timothy again. 1 Timothy was the first book I ever read as a new believer, like right out of the gate. I don't know why. I opened my Bible one day. I had been in, in Christ a few days, and I read 1 Timothy. And it was surely sovereign because I was on my way to being a minister, and I had no idea. But it made sense. I could understand the language. You know, I'm, praise God I didn't start in Leviticus. I might have not, you know, just walked away from the faith right there, you know, or something. I mean, that's a joke. Lighten up. Oh, he didn't like that. No, Leviticus has some pretty high standards, man, in there, right? You've you got to understand the context. So uh, I read First Timothy, and, and uh, I, I, it made sense to me. And then I read Second Timothy. This week I've gone back through First Timothy. This week I've gone back through Second Timothy and Titus and places in Hebrews and 1 Peter. and whatever. It's blessed me because so often the demands I put on myself aren't the demands God puts on me. It's really true. This picture of a shepherd is a very important one, though. I've read books on shepherding, and one of the things I've learned, and so, some of you think, oh, what a tender picture. Now, I don't know the background to this story, but there's only two reasons that shepherd put sheep on their shoulders. One is when they're wounded. They, 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 they literally have, they, they can't walk, they, something's gone wrong. But let me tell you the other context, which often is the case, not just the wound. My bet, if I were a betting man, it's the second reason. It's because that sheep is acting out. You see, when sheep act out, what shepherds do is they put them on their shoulders to make them dependent on the shepherd to make them learn the ways because what what sheep that act out do was they will teach other sheep to do that 
I remember reading this one book from a shepherd who was a shepherd in New Zealand and later on in the Rocky Mountains of America. And he said, I had this, uh, he said, three times in my life I've had a ewe, a female uh, a sheep, and then the rams or the males and the ewes are the females. He said, three times in my life, I had, he said, I remember this one specific ewe, she was a bully. And what she would do is she would, if I wasn't around or if she didn't know I was there, she would stiffen her legs and she would go to the other female used and, and she would butt them and she would headbutt them and she would stomp on them and she would take control and take dominion over those in the pasture. And I would have to show up and when I would show up, she would get in line. But if I wasn't around, she became a bully. I've seen that happen, bully behavior. He said, but then one, one sheep, and I think it was the same one, but he said there was a cliff there in New Zealand and, and down was the ocean and, and this one sheep would get down. It always wanted to eat by the ocean. But the problem is it couldn't get back up. So I would have to go down, put it on my shoulders, risk the 80-foot the drop, go down and get this sheep and bring it back. And I, and I looked up and a couple weeks later it had done it again. And it was going to die. It, thankfully it was down there on low tide. But when high tide came in, it wasn't going to make it out. They can't swim. He said, so I began to have the sheep act out. And then one day I came to the pasture, and yes, she had gone down there again, but I noticed she had taught three others how to go with her. And the behavior was going to toxify, and she was going to kill my entire herd. And he said, so we had a really good supper that night. <laughs> oh, come on. Don't you get it? Y'all are like, what's the leadership at Clearview like if I'm a guest? Like, what, 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 what do they do, right? If I vote no, do they, do they shoot, shoot people? Y'all have got to lighten up. That was pretty funny. I thought, now, no, we do not have a recipe. Uh, there's nothing in our, our constitution that says we execute those that disagree. <laughs> but the point is, Shepherds don't just pet. Sometimes they protect. And that is what we have to do. Because when you let infection grow in the body of Christ, infection is what you can, it's, it's what you can expect. And by the way, I want to I stop for a second and say something to all you that are leaders of groups. There are many of you in here that you lead a small group. You teach. Teach the Word of God, and we love you, and you're very good at it, and we thank you for it. I'm serious. But I want to give you commission to say that, listen, you are shepherds too. You, you are the shepherds in small way. You have a smaller group, but you, listen, you, you have a green light. You, you're not just there to pet sheep and encourage. You're there to make sure that every, think about it, every big problem was once a small problem. And on the small group level, a lot of times you see behavior that is acting out and you either got to put those sheep on your shoulders or you have to discipline them one or the other. But I'm telling you, it is one of those places in our lives that we have to protect our body and that is our job to hold the kingdom standard. It is our job, which leads me to our fourth truth. God calls pastors to be guardians of biblical truth. All throughout 1 Timothy, all throughout 2 Timothy, all throughout Peter, all throughout Titus, in, in the Gospels, especially in the Old Testament, those that lead God's people, are, I would even go so far as to say, other than personal purity, our chief role 
is to guard the truths of God. All throughout 1 Timothy, you hear this charge in 2 Timothy, guard the truth, guard the truth, preach the word, entrusted, stewardship. All of that is, is right there for us to see. In fact, look at what Paul told Timothy. Look at this verse, 2 Timothy 4. He says, Timothy, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. Listen, those aren't opposed to each other. Sometimes you correct, sometimes you rebuke, and sometimes you put them on your shoulders and you carry them because they're too weak to walk. We have to do all of that sometimes. For the time will come, this is so critical for all of you, the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead... To suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. See, we are there to guard the truth in season and out of season. Let me tell you what that means. It's a big contrast, and I want you to understand why it matters. In season means that you, listen, you stand your ground, Jason. Stand your ground, Shane. Stand your ground, Alexis. Stand your ground, Zach. Stand your ground, Graham. When, when you preach the truth, when, it, when it's the right time, you preach the truth. But let me tell you what out of season means. Let's go back into the original language for a minute. The overtones of the Greek language in that, you know what that means? When it is the most socially awkward, inopportune, worst possible moment, you preach the truth. Period. When it's convenient for you and you might lose your job or not, you preach the truth. And let me tell you why that matters to me, friends. I love you guys. I do. I love you. But let me tell you what I know. You, let me tell you the heartbeat from which I lead from. It's not just a heart for you. It's a heart for God. And this is what I know. I am going to die one day. I am. I'm going to die one day. And when I do, none of you are going to sit on the judgment throne of my life. None of you. Holy God is. Holy God is. And, and it's for that reason alone that I am not going to stand in front of a holy God and him to look at me and say, Jason, the people I gave you charge over, you let chaos reign or you let bullying reign or you let power mongering reign or Jason, I gave you charge over them and, and, and I get Shane, same thing. He's going to say the same thing to Shane and the same thing to Alexis. This is a very sobering thing we do to know that it is a high calling and, but I understand that it is my job to please God. And most of the time I hope it pleases you, but sometimes it doesn't. But if I'm going to lose sleep at night, I'm going to lose sleep over whether or not I'm being obedient to God. That's just the reality. And you need it to be that way. You need it to be that way. So let me tell you, I made you a promise when I started this thing out. But I was going to tell you why this matters to you. There's actually a personal benefit that you get in this thing. You ready? I saw, uh, I remember a few years ago, probably 10 years ago or something, I was looking up some church online and as I pulled it up on Google, there sat a bunch of Google reviews. And I don't know, it just kind of froze me for a minute. And I thought, is this where we are? Like Yelp now decides, you know, good church, bad church. Like I, it, it was just weird. My brain doesn't, it was just weird for me. Like if they got four stars, like, well, okay, then my mind's going, why don't they have five? What are they doing? You know, what's wrong? And it just struck me funny. But this is what I know. 
as human beings, listen, all of us do this. Every single one of us. We measure churches and we measure ministers by personal preference. We just do. All, I, I'm, I'm as guilty of it as you are. And that's why the ne- this week and next week, we're going to talk about a biblical definition. Because I'm telling you, friends, if this is a dangerous thing. Because our personal preferences guide what we think a good church is. And don't you think it is far more mission critical for us to look at what does God expect of Alexis? What does God expect of Graham? What does God expect of Graham, Jason and Zach? And what I would far more be interested in that. Because that is what holds the line. But we have personal preferences. And I've watched this, by the way. I've watched this morph in my lifetime. I really have. I mean, first of all, here's a couple examples. One is this what I'd call the spiritual CEO, right? There's a lot. Of, I've, this is kind of where Americanism has gone, at least in my ministry career. More often than not, the spiritual CEO is what a lot of churches want. They want this person that can be up there. And, and, and for all of you that are in the C-suite, man, and there, we have a lot of CEOs and CFOs and chief marketing officers and COOs in our church. And Man, they have a tough job because you, you, you're, there's just so many lines. You fish with about eight lines in the water. It's not just a, a one task you have. And, and, there, and so I've watched in my ministry career, I've watched churches really more put, this is kind of where it's all been headed. At least, I would say at least in the last 15 years, you see this is a lot of what the church wants. So guess what happens? What you end up doing is you, if you think this is, especially my role, if you think this is my role, you're going to measure me based on that. You just are. You're a human. There's other people that, here's another one. Here's another example. Some people believe that, that the, the pastors should be the evangelist, right? The door knocker. The person that, that, that they go all over the neighborhoods knocking on the doors, right? There's a lot of people that feel that's kind of the role of, of the pastor, I'll tell you, man, I had a lot of guilt with this. I did. Uh, when I was young in ministry, I would go to these evangelism conferences, and I would go to pastor's conferences, uh, sometimes, uh, more often than not in the Baptist world, but often in other denominations. And, 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 and I saw it a lot in seminary, in, in, in chapel. They would bring in these uh, larger-than-life personalities, man, that were, that were what, what I would call soul winners. And, I mean, they were actually really good at it. Like they were the kind of people that like on their flight there to Dallas, they, they flew southwest and like the whole plane got saved. You know, you ever seen these kind of people? I mean, like they really did. They always had their airplane stories. Like, you know, I sat right by the pilot and right, right as he was touching down, I said, do you have an, an understanding of what it means to know Jesus? And the, I mean, these guys were, were a fascinating people. Because they could lead people to Christ. And, and then you would, and they would put these guys on stage that were leading these churches. And they would say, yeah, our baptisms are up 72,000.4% since last month. You know? I mean, they were baptizing people in droves. And you would go, what never happens to me? What am I going to do? I'm, I'm failing. I'm not as good as these people. Until I read the words of Jesus one day. Jesus said in John chapter 4, I have sent you to harvest what you did not plant. Jesus said in John chapter 4, I have sent you to reap what you did not sow, wait for it, so that the reaper and the sower will be glad together. Last time I checked, corn doesn't grow overnight. Every single one of you that are in Christ, there's 5, 10, 15 people in your story, Sunday school teachers, coaches, parents, grandmothers, uncles, best friends, college roommates, 
Student pastors, there's five, six, seven, eight people that sowed the gospel into your life and saw no return, none. And then one person came along at a fuge or one person came along in a dorm room or one person came along after a sales meeting and reaped what 17 people had sowed their whole life so that the reaper and the sower can be glad together. And so I had to learn I can't compare my ministry to an evangelist. I I will need to self-medicate. I can't do it. Some people, but, but there's people that, that really do measure pastors by whether or not we're willing to knock on doors. Then there's those that want the chaplain. Here's another option. Here's the chaplain, right? I was one of those. Loved it. I loved it. It's the person that walks you through crisis when you're stuck. I had an eight-year ministry of unstuck. That was what I did. Helped you figure out how to get unstuck. I loved it, man. It was great. But that's how some people believe. They don't know a good pastor is somebody that, just, that, that honestly does just minister to the needs. They, they, they measure by whether or not you make hospital visits. Man, do you realize in a church this size, do you know how many people are in the hospital all the time? Most of the time, you're out of the hospital before we even know about it. It's a big church. Be careful that you don't measure us by what you think. Oh, here's, here's another one. Here's the, the, the teacher theologian, right? Boy, this, one, this one's popular in the last 20 years. But that's the role. That's what makes a good pastor. A good pastor is a deep theologian. I want to tell you something, man. Shocker to those of you that have been around for a while. That's not me. Right? I mean, I could spell Ecclesiastes. But I, I'm not the pulpit theologian. I do know theology. But I'm not the pulpit professor. I'm not. I'm never going to be. It doesn't mean I don't understand Theology, it certainly doesn't mean I don't teach. I, I think I can do that. But we measure people by what we think it should look like. Here's another one that we hear this word used all the time, shepherd. We hear the word shepherd constantly. The shepherd who is there to, to manage and oversee and guide and feed. And so why do I say that to you? I say, now, here, here's why I bring all that up. See, every one of you have your definition of what me and Alexis and Shane and Graham and Kim and all the other ones. What, you have your definition of what we, should be, what we should be. And I would say to you, friend, be very careful. Be very careful. Let me tell you why this matters to you. I made you a promise. I told you why it matters to you. Let me tell you why it matters to you. Because you are on a path to self-sabotaging your spiritual journey. You're going to self-sabotage yourself. Because what will happen is you will always have in your mind your definition of what a leader should look like. And if we don't fit it, what's going to happen is you're going to grow frustrated. You're going to become very frustrated. You're going to ask of us a role that matters to you, but God didn't give us the gifts for that. God did not give me the gift of the pulpit professor. He did not. Don't hold me to a standard I'm not gifted to. No more than I should do that to you. But what's going to happen is we begin, let me tell you where where this goes. You're going to self-sabotage. You know why? Because what you're going to do is you're going to set yourself on a course to where you constantly hop churches. Constantly. You'll stay three or four years. You'll land. And when the need's not met, you'll move on. And when the need's not met, you'll move on. And then you'll do it again. My running joke in this county is that by the time you die, there's about eight of us that should do your funeral because we've all been your pastor at some point. Williamson County is full of amazing ministers and amazing churches of all shapes, sizes, and flavors. And so you're going to keep shopping until you get that one, until the bubble gum has been chewed and the taste goes away. 
you're going to self-sabotage. And you know what the worst part of that is? The worst part of that is this. You forfeit the stories. You forfeit walking with your good friend through cancer. You forfeit watching yourself grow old together. I mean, there, you know one of the things I love about Clearview? The stories. People that have been here 15, 20, 30 years. I mean, they got dirt on each other. I love it. They have weathered all kinds of ministers and pastors, and you have stuck through it. Listen, man, it has not been easy. It has not been easy. You've been through a ton of changes, and I get it. I do. But if you constantly look around, and if you're constantly measuring ministers by definitions that even God didn't put on them, you're going to sabotage your journey, and you're going to forfeit the sweetness of the together life. You're going you're to you're lose friends. Because you're, I've watched friends come into disagreements about, well, I think our church should be doing this, and I think our church should be doing this, and I want to say, hey, could we start here? Can we start here? Because that's the leveling ground. But I do it, and you do it. And I'm saying to you, learn now to let's put standards on one another that God does. So that when we do our reviews, <laughs> then we review according to what the scriptures say, and you don't forfeit the journey. You know, you often don't think about sharing something with somebody like a tweet or an email or sending them a sermon or sending them a podcast. You don't often think of that as missions, but it is. It's not that you have to send it to the whole world or post every single thing we do at Clearview on your feed. But if, if you've heard a sermon or if you've listened to a podcast, think through your life. I mean, God, who needs to hear this? Sometimes it, it, it doesn't need to go on your Facebook page. Sometimes it needs to go on your Twitter, but sometimes just a simple text to one person can make all the difference in the world to sending them the Word of God in real time. Share it. You'd be surprised how far it goes.